We had this little deal come up, and uh, the little deal was I got engaged to be married to my lovely wife, Shauna. And um, so we were having our concert right here on the stage, and actually, Bob Kilpatrick was going to be in concert that night, and we were his opening act. So we were up here just doing our thing, and after the show, man, we were just high-fiving each other. We were just like, this is just going to be awesome. To go up before Bob Kilpatrick is like a dream come true. We're going to places. Guys, just give me a couple months and get married, and then we'll get this thing back together, and we'll be on the road, and we'll be doing this. And uh, we walked out this side door right here, and we never got our guitars back on again. That was it. So the truth of the story is there's, there's one of two people to blame for the breakup of the band. It's either Bob Kilpatrick, because that was the last show we did, or it's my wife, Yoko Ono. We don't know which one it is that... We don't know for sure, but, but tonight when he came back, we figured we would uh, lay that story out there for you guys. So um, Bob has been doing this for a long time, and he is he's just a great, great guy. I've checked his stuff out on YouTube to see what he's been up to lately, and um, I just I know that what he has to share and the heart that he has, um, is, it's just right at home here on Saturday night. So would you guys welcome Bob Kilpatrick? Thanks, John Lennon. I like the Yoko Ono reference. That was pretty cool. So I guess I must be like uh, Brian Epstein or something like that, you know. One of the other players in the drama. I buy you a diamond ring, my friend, if it makes you feel all right. I give you anything, my friend, if it makes you feel all right. Cause I don't care too much for money, money can't buy me love. I give you all I've got to give if you say you love me too. I may not have a lot to give, but what I got I'll give to you. Cause I don't care too much for money, money can't buy me love, can't buy me love. Everybody tells me so, can't buy me You want the kind of things the money just can't buy. Cause I don't care too much for money. Money can't buy me love, can't buy me love. Everybody tells me so, can't buy me love. No, 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 no. Say you don't need no diamond rings. I'll be satisfied. Tell me that you want the kind of thing that money just can't buy. Cause I don't care too much for money. Money can't buy me. Money can't buy me. Money can't buy me love. Can't buy me love. Love. Can't buy me love. <laughs> Well, I haven't done that song in about 18 years. In fact, maybe the last time I did it was right here. Who knows? Uh, I got some other kind of fun songs on my mind. Do you mind if I just... I, this is not normal uh, night for me, so do you mind if I just go abnormal on you and we'll just have some fun? Okay. There is no political solution 
watch our bold evolution. I thought this was appropriate for tonight. Have no faith in constitution. There is no bloody revolution, we hope. We are spirits in the material world, our spirits in the material world, our spirits in the material world, our spirits in the material world. Our so-called leaders speak. With words they try to jail you. They subjugate the meaning. But it's a rhetoric of failure. We are spirits in the material world, our spirits in the material world, our spirits in the material world, our spirits in the material world. We live from day to day This is something we can't hide There must be another way We are spirits in the material world Our spirits in the material world Our spirits in the material world Our spirits in the material world Hey, hey Hey, hey Woo! Well, some of you know me, some of you don't Let me introduce myself, I'm Bob I'm a married man, I married a woman and uh, we live in Sacramento, and uh, her name is Cindy, and I, I like her. I think she's pretty cool. It's helped our relationship a lot, just to like each other, you know. <laughs> That's kind of a good thing. And uh, we have uh, four sons and a daughter. The daughter was last. I was very happy to see she was different than what had come before, you know. It's a girl. I didn't know we made that kind. All right. I like it. And I'm proud of my kids are doing cool stuff. You know, I get to hang out with them. We still like each other. That's a good thing. And uh, now they're married and breeding. And I think we're part rabbit because <laughs> there were only two of you in the cage last night. What's all of this? Now we have 13 little Kilpatricks. Number 14 due in April, number 15 due in July of next year. So we're taking that first commandment of God, be fruitful and multiply, very seriously. <laughs> there going to be a lot of Kilpatricks around, you know, for a long time. Um, I, I have been at this for a long time. I get to write songs. Uh, these days I get to write books, and that's kind of fun, you know, and I did a radio thing for decades. A little uh, devotional on K-Love and other stations. And, uh, produced albums for people. and But I think probably what will be on my obituary, if anybody cares to publish an obituary when I die, and I am going to die, 
what it'll say is this. It'll say, Bob, Lord be glorified, Kilpatrick dies. Because I think, you know, as everybody's life gets reduced to a little sentence or two or perhaps a paragraph or maybe a couple of those, mine is going to be reduced to this. I wrote, in my life, Lord, be glorified, be glorified. I think it's just going to come down to that. That's it. But you know what? That's not a bad legacy, is it? It's not a bad little song. I wrote that in my mother-in-law's living room, not far from here in Atwater, California. And I wrote it as a prayer for my wife and me to sing. I never intended to sing it publicly, and that's always seemed kind of ironic to me that the song that I meant to be my most private song became my most public song. But it took off without my help. Uh, very quickly and went all around the world. It was pretty remarkable to watch because uh, it somehow, I guess it just captured in a simple way, a simple prayer, you know, and uh, people all around the world began to sing it. South America, we sing, And mi vida gloria te doy, Señor. In Russia, we sing, And In Australia, we sing, In my life, Lord, be glorified. My... <laughs> Now, a friend of mine pointed out to me that this song has my style. It sounds like I wrote it. It really does. It's got, you know, sounds like I wrote it. And that led me to the next train of thought. Well, what would this song have sounded like if somebody else had written it? And I came up with a couple of ideas. This is what I think Lord Be Glorified might have sounded like if Frank Sinatra had written it. One, two, one, two, three, well in my life, Lord, I say, be glorified, baby. Be glorified while in my life, Lord. Be glorified, be glorified, be glorified today. Yeah. Or if Elvis had written, Lord, be glorified. In my life, Lord. Be glorified. <laughs> Be glorified. Or if the Beatles had written, Lord, be glorified. One, two, three. In my life, Lord, in my life, Lord, be glorified today. Be glorified today. Woo! Or if Willie had wrote it. Lord be glorified. Just can't wait to sing, Lord be glorified. In my life, Lord be glorified today. I can't wait to sing, Lord be glorified. Woo! Yeah. <laughs> well, maybe we should, you know, cleanse our palates and uh, sing it the original way, just so we remember it properly the next time we want to pray this little musical prayer. So if you know it, would you sing it with me? And if you don't, jump in when you can. It's pretty easy. There are only five notes, five, uh, five notes, seven words, simplest of prayers. And it goes like this. In my life, Lord, be glorified, be glorified in Today. 
So I was producing this record for a friend, a couple friends of mine named uh, Phil Keggy and Randy Stonehill, <clears throat> and uh, they wanted to use a song that I had written, but uh, they kept teasing me about the song. They kept telling me how the song sounded very much like the Beatles. They kept going, that's the best song McCartney hasn't written in 20 years. And it's true that all my songs sound like the Beatles wrote it, didn't like it, threw it away, and I went dumpster diving outside their house, you know. I just write Beatle leftovers. But they, if you know them, are kind of like the John and Paul of Christian music, you know? And uh, very much like the, like the lads from Liverpool. Well, I don't have John and Paul here with me tonight, so I'm going to give you the Ringo version of the song. But the message is still the same, and it's simply this. God doesn't promise that we'll always have pleasant paths or wonderful weather. What he promises is that no matter the path of the weather, we'll always have him. When you're in the valley of despair Feels as though you always will be there Let your heart be strong Though the road is long There's a way to go For soon enough the path will start to rise To mountains high and clear and sunny skies the wave will take you high, the wave will take you low, that's the way it goes, that's the way it goes sometimes, things are going to work out fine, rain will fall and then, sun will shine again, that's the way it goes, yeah, yeah, yeah. Waters rush your way, and it feels like you won't last another day. Let your heart be brave, the calming of the waves is nearer than you know. Oh, oh, oh. For stormy days will be a distant dream, la la la, la la la, floating in a still and quiet stream. The river will run fast. The river will run slow Cause that's the way it goes That's the way it goes sometimes Things are going to work out fine Rain will fall and then Sun will shine again That's the way it goes Life's 
a mystery and we don't always see God's hand but he's the Lord of love and wonder one day we will understand that's the way it goes sometimes things are going to work out fine rain will fall and then sun will shine again that's the way it goes sometimes things are going to work out fine rain will fall and then sun will shine again that's the way it goes that's the way life goes isn't it rain sun fast water slow water easy hard great sucks That's just life, man. But sometimes people act like, they even teach like, that becoming a Christian is like an upgrade to first class for the rest of your life. You know? Nothing ever goes wrong. You live in an alternate universe where there is no tooth decay. You go outside in the rain and you're in a little bubble. It never hits you. But this is not true. It didn't happen for me. Did it happen for anybody else here? Life is life, man. You just get life. Everybody gets life. You know, you still got a brush. <laughs> I'll tell you something else about life. It's absurd. Life is absurd. It's, it's hard to find the meaning. It's hard to understand what's going on in our lives. Don't you think? Some of you are thinking, oh, I wonder if he's wandering away from the faith. I think I'm wandering into it. Life is absurd, man. It's hard to understand. Can you explain to me hurricane, earthquake, tsunami, war, pestilence, famine, giraffes? <laughs> Doesn't make any sense. But you know what? We're always trying to make sense out of our lives. We're always trying to make sense out of things. And as Christians, we sometimes have this belief, if I can understand it, if, I'm sorry, let me start that over again. We have this belief, we, we have this hope, this belief that says, if I knew God better, and I prayed longer, and I read the Bible more, then I would understand what's going on in my life. Because we have this natural tendency to want to make sense out of things. We want, it's like an equation. We want to add it up. And we want to hit that bottom line and then come up with a, a solution, you know? We're, we want it to make sense. Well, this is why it's going on. And so we think when things are absurd and meaningless and weird and incomprehensible in our lives, and we think... If I just knew God better and I prayed longer and I read the Bible more, then I would understand. And other Christians support you in this. They say, well, brother, just get into the Word. 
So I ordered this great big Bible I could just sleep on. Get into the Word. Well, brother, you just got to pray about it, man. Just pray, just pray and pray. Pray through. You know what? I'm here to set you free tonight. There are going to come a time in your life when you're not going to understand. You're not going to understand it. You're going to say, God, what is going on? And he's going to say, I'm not telling. Why is this happening to me? None of your business. Here's the worst. God, what is going on? And you get nothing. Nothing. Look, if this hasn't happened to you yet, you're either very young or you just need to get out more. Life is like that. Unless you think that I'm a heretic, let's use some scriptures to back this point of view up, okay? Here's one. Uh, the Bible says that God cloaks himself in darkness. Don't hear that referred to very often. He hides himself in the clouds. Proverbs says it's the glory of God to conceal a matter. Hmm. But here's the biggie. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. We all know this one. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and, and lean, what? Lean not on your own understanding. Can I just ask you a question? If understanding worked all the time, don't you think it would say, and lean hard on your own understanding? Or don't you think it would say, try to get more understanding? But you know what God is saying here? Your understanding is not going to help you every time you want it to. It's not going to help. Because sometimes things are going to happen and they're just flat, not going to make any sense to you. Why does God do this? See, we're trying to make sense of our lives. Always trying to make sense of our lives. God doesn't care about sense. It makes sense to him. And he doesn't ever seem to feel as though he must explain himself to us on demand. Why doesn't he explain himself to us? Well, I'll tell you a couple of reasons. Number one, while we're trying to make sense of our lives, God is trying to make good of our lives. And they're not the same. Why did God say at the end of every creation day, that makes sense? No, he said, that's, that's good. That's what he was looking for. He was trying to create things that were good, not that necessarily make sense. That's good. It's giving us, an, it's giving, giving us a, a view, a window into his character. How about this? Romans 8, 28. If you're a good Christian, you know this one. All things work together to make sense for those who love God. Called according. That's what we wanted to say. All things work together to make sense. Brother, just get down and pray and God will explain himself to you. Because he must. It doesn't say that. It says all things work together for good. While we're trying to make sense of things, God is trying to make good of things. And sometimes we get in his way. I was talking to a friend of mine about this. And he said, you know, Bob, I think most people like me, they live with this sort of motto. If I can understand it, I can manage it. And if I can manage it, I can control the outcome. And I thought, there, that's why God doesn't explain himself to us every time. Because when we understand it, then we start managing it so we can control the outcome. 
God, the potter, is making something beautiful of our lives. And we go, that's a good idea. I see what you're do- I see where you're going with this. You know what? I'm pretty good at this. Why don't you take a little break and I'll continue your work for you. Let me tell you something. God doesn't need your help conforming you to his image. You know what he's saying to you? I don't want your thumbprints in the clay. I want my thumbprints in the clay. A lot of people get this mistaken notion that Christianity is like a self-help program with Jesus attached to it. It is, a, it is an anti-self-help program. This is not 12 steps to a better you, 7 days to a new you, 31 days to a really cool you. Let me tell you what the the Christian message is about. It's not about you making yourself like God. But you hear people say all the time, well, brother, just try to do better. Well, sister, just try to get better. It's not about being better. God is not interested in repairing you, making you a better you. He's not interested in solving you. You know what God wants for you? He wants you dead and resurrected. He's not interested in a better you. He's interested in a new you. A new you. You know what Paul said about this? If any person's in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things have passed away and all things have become new. That is a promise. That's a promise for every one of us. That we're not stuck with ourselves, our old, battered, beat-up selves. It's not like we're a jalopy in God's garage and he's trying to fix us up. And, well, everything else is pretty good except for that carburetor. We'll get that fixed and replaced. You're good to go. No. He's making a new you. A new you. Sometimes things are absurd. We've been through an absurd season in our family. Three years ago. Just a little over three years ago, my 20-year-old nephew, Matt, died of leukemia. Christian kid, strong, tall, handsome, talented, athletic, wasting away until he was bald and bloated and weak and laying in a hospital bed in Stanford Hospital in Palo Alto, California, 10 months, wasting away to nothing and finally dying. His brother, his dad, my brother-in-law, Jeff Shively, was leading a very wicked life when he was a young guy, 18 years old, living in Indiana. I led him to the Lord. He moved out here to California, get himself together, met this wonderful young lady, Shelly, at our church up in Redding, California, and married her. I had the privilege of performing their wedding ceremony 34 years ago. First wedding I ever did. So here, my brother, and he, Jeff was my closest friend through most of my adult life, my wife's brother. And here he is burying his youngest son. He didn't tell any of us that his back had been hurting him for months. He didn't want to complain about it because Matt was, you know, struggling with leukemia. And it just seemed kind of trivial and whiny to say, oh, yeah, you have leukemia? Well, my back hurts. You know, so you, he didn't mention anything. So after the funeral, he thought, man, I got to get my back in shape again. So he started to exercise. It didn't help. Pain kept 
got grieve and grew stronger in his back. And, and then it started to move around. It started to migrate other places. And other things started hurting in his torso. This is weird. But you know what Jeff is? Jeff's a man. And men don't talk about this. And men don't go to the doctor. And he didn't until one day when he woke up and he couldn't swallow. Not even water. So he thought, okay, well, I'll go to the doctor today. Doctor took some tests and said, come back next Tuesday. I'll give you the results of the tests. That Tuesday happened to be Valentine's Day. That happens to be the day that Jeff and Shelley got married. So they're on their way out to dinner to celebrate anniversary and Valentine's Day. And they stop at the doctor's office on the way out. And they say, all right, doc, what's the diagnosis? And the doctor says, you have cancer of the esophagus. I think anytime anybody uses the words you and cancer in the same sentence, that is going to knock you back a little bit. <clears throat> and it did Jeff. But he's a positive, optimistic guy, believes God. And so he, he said, well, all right, uh, well, what are my options? And the doctor said, zero. You don't have any options. I'll be surprised if you're alive in two months. Well, he, he was alive in two months, but not much longer than that. He died 17 months after his son died. Why am I telling you this? Is it to get your sympathy? I'll bet you there are people in this room who could top that story if we were having a contest. Is it to uh, complain? No. It's to illustrate to you that everybody goes through times that are absurd. Everybody goes through tough times where you can't figure life out, you don't know what's going on, and you have to remind yourself some way that God is good. That even when things look bad, God is good. This is the second song I wrote that I never meant to share publicly after the Lord be glorified. And I wrote this actually driving down Highway 5, not far south from here, on my way to Southern California. I often choose to drive instead of fly because I can't get any cell phone reception on Highway 5 and it makes it a very nice and quiet trip. I like it. I was talking to God. And I began to sing this to myself because I needed to remind myself again that God is always good. God is good. God is good. All the plans He has for us are good. God is good. Trust his love for us, for God is good. God is good. God is good. Yeah, all the plans he has for us are good. God is good. 
say, God is good. And he made the valleys, you say, God is good. All through the ages, God is good. He never changes, God. So always remember, God is good. God is good, yeah. All the plans he has for us are good. Remember, God is good. God is good. All the plans He has for us are good. God is good. Always good. We can trust His love for us. For God is good. We can trust. We can trust His love for us. For God is good. We can trust, we can trust His love for us. For God is good. God is good. He's not bad. God is for you. He's not against you. God is your friend. He's not your enemy. God gets a lot of bad press these days. Maybe you could put this on your computer screen. God is good. He's not bad. God is for me. He's not against me. God is my friend. He's not my enemy. Put it on your computer screen or write it on your desk or tattoo it on your forearm or something, you know. God is good. We need the reminder because there are so many voices in the world that are telling us God is bad. God is not your friend. God is against you. There are even Christian voices that are saying that. They're wrong. They're wrong. God is for you. He's not against you. You know what God's goal is? His goal is that you should have the kind of life that is so wonderful, so good, that at the end of it you look back and go, yes! Can I go again? That's what God wants. But i got to tell you something else, too. This is not the end. No matter how comfortable or uncomfortable it gets here, this is not what we live for. Every one of us is going to die. We're all going to die. And you, you wouldn't want to keep living. I mean, can you imagine yourself at 200? You are so wrinkly, your face looks like a, a, a topographical map. I mean, come on, you know? And most of you has responded to gravity, you know, your little puddle of wrinkly skin around your ankles. You scratch your belly button, feel it in your chin, you know? 
We're all going to die, and what then? That's what we're living for. We're living for afterlife, not life, afterlife. You know what Paul said? He said, the sufferings of this time are not to be compared with the glory that shall be revealed. What he means is, no matter how much it hurts here, and sometimes it hurts like hell here, no matter how much it hurts here, it's going to feel like heaven there. It's going to be really good. Now, to understand that, and I'm not going to go into it tonight, but to understand that, you need to understand that God is an artist. And artists will sometimes put themselves and their artistic process through pain in order to accomplish the vision of perfection that they have for their art. It happens. You are God's art. And sometimes he puts himself through pain, as he did on the cross. That is art at its best and highest and most creative. God becoming one with his creation, redeeming us, remaking us, remolding us, reshaping us through the cross. And sometimes in your life, God will put you through the pain because he doesn't. It's like thumbs in the clay. Yeah, you feel that pressure. It's the thumbs. Dig it into the clay. Why? Because he's trying to form you. He wants to make you something very beautiful. He's the potter. You're the clay. And he's not just making toilets. He's making something really beautiful out of you. Okay, can I tell you a story tonight? Oh, I should have asked before I do that. Um, some of you may have heard me before. Are there any requests? songs of mine that you'd like to hear it has to be one of mine so if you haven't heard me before you're out of the running you know but if you have and you have a sign if, if, if you can't remember the title but you can remember some of the words I can help you because I know most of the words to my songs so are there any of those I've, I've got a story I want to tell you but I just wanted to make sure I didn't okay then I'm gonna tell you a story and I want before I tell you the story I want you to know this about the story okay this story is true. It's not just true in the broad scope, it's true in the details. I didn't expand the story, exaggerate the story. I didn't make it bigger than it really is, okay? I'm telling it to you as it happened. I, in fact, I called my friend Phil, who you'll hear about, to say, let me tell you what I'm saying and, and make sure that I have not added to or changed the story in any way. He said, no, you haven't. As a matter of fact, you've taken away a couple of interesting small details that would give the story a little more color. But I hadn't added to it, and I still haven't added to it. And uh, this story is, in fact, in the, the new book that comes out in just a matter of weeks. So my friend Phil was the worship pastor at a church east of Portland, Oregon, a little community called Sandy. It's on the way to Mount Hood. Beautiful rural mountain, northwest mountain community. And uh, they were just planting this church, and they were renting a building that was a 150-year-old Swedish Baptist chapel on the side of Highway 20 going out, out of uh, Portland. Beautiful old building, so quaint and picturesque. It was used for a lot of... Uh, wedding photographs and other events like that because it was just so lovely and it was it was an a-frame hand built hand hewn timbers all the uh, the pews were handmade hand cut from 
from uh, the, the wood and uh, 150 years old. And the building was beautiful, but it only sat 75 people. Every week, and by the way, they outgrew the building after they were having five, six, and seven services a weekend at this building. They finally had to move someplace else. But at this time that the story happened, they were meeting in this little chapel. Every week, Phil would pray, Father, what would you like to hear from your people in worship this Sunday? And then he would try to plan the worship time with an ear to God. And one week, he prayed this, and he felt like God spoke to him and said, Sing, Jesus loves me. Sing, in the garden. Do you know these songs? The first one is kind of a child song, Sunday school, you know. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. And the other one, kind of an old hymn, I come to the garden alone while the dew is deep. Phil doesn't like that song. He just doesn't like it. It reminds him of old lady Sunday school teachers. It reminds him of like, Daisy, Daisy, give me your answer to I'm hey, You know, it just always seemed a little whiny to him. Man, he walks with me and he talks to me. He tells me I he doesn't like it, so he didn't sing it. So the next week, of course, he prayed the same prayer. Father, what would you like to hear from your people in worship this Sunday? And he felt that same nudge. Sing, Jesus loves me. Sing in the garden. I don't like that song. And you know I don't like that song. So he didn't do it second week in a row. He didn't act on this prompting. Third week, Father, what would you like to hear from your people in worship this Sunday? Jesus loves me. In the garden. This week, there were other signs. He's walking down the aisle of the grocery store, and a lady passes him. And he walks with me, and he talks with me. His mother called him up, Philip, when I die, I'd like you to sing in the garden at my funeral. Mom. They got a little floral arrangement and there was a plaster hymnal and it was permanently open to in the garden. And so he said, okay, I'll do it. So he got up with his worship team that Sunday morning. And he greeted the people, and the place was packed, man. There were, there were 75 people there. And he said, good morning, church. Welcome. We're going to just sing two songs this morning. So turn in your hymnals to page 262, and let's sing together in the garden. And when he said that, a guy sitting right over here went, oh, yes! <laughs> this is for me! Thank you so much! Thank you all! This is great! Thank you! I love you! This was a little shocking because these people are quiet. They're a quiet kind of church. You know, they never sing the third verse of any hymn. They don't yell. They don't lift their hands. They just, whenever they get really, really excited, it sounds like this. Amen. I mean, that's it, you know? And this guy, he's kind of, he stands out. And Phil went, kind of jumped a little bit. Went, okay, well, let's, uh, let's sing. 
I come, and they started singing the song, this guy stood up. Now, he's the only one standing in the congregation. And when you're one in 75, you stand out. He's standing up, front row, holding the rail in front of him, and he's singing without the benefit of a hymnal. He knows all the words of the song by heart. And he sang loudly. And he sang in a voice that Phil could only describe to me as kind of a nutty professor era Jerry Lewis. I come to the garden alone while the dew is still on the roses. I mean, it's just this weird, loud, squeaky voice. And then they get to the end of the song. None other has ever known. You people are great. This is wonderful. Thank you so much. Woo, this is for me. Thank you. Thank you. And he sat down. Pastor Phil. Okay. Okay. Well, we're, we're just going to sing one more song this morning, and maybe you know this one. From your childhood, we're going to sing, Jesus Loves Me. Oh, yes! <laughs> this is for me! Thank you so much! You people are great! Oh, I love you so much! This time, he didn't just stand up. This time he jumped up onto the 150-year-old Swedish handmade pew. He jumped up onto the pew and he began to dance as he sang. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Little ones to him belong, they are weak, but he is strong. Yes, Jesus loves me. He's just having himself a little party on the pew. And they get to the end of the song, the Bible tells me so. You people are great. I love you so much. Thank you so much. Oh, this is for me, and I love you for it. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And he sat down. Phil. Okay, Pastor, your turn. He left the stage. Interestingly enough, that man made no more sounds through the entire service. Not a peep. Phil's leaving the stage over here. He's kind of confused. He was met by a woman he knew from the congregation. She'd been there from the beginning. And she, she said, her name was Glenda. And she said, maybe I should explain to you what just happened. And he said, that would be nice. So they went into the back room and got a cup of coffee. And Glenda said, the man's name is Roger. Roger came with my son, Brady. Brady was assigned as his counselor a few years ago. Roger has agoraphobia, the fear of going out into open places, the fear of going outside, outdoors. He developed this fear when he was a teenager. It was so strong and had such a grip on him that he stopped leaving his house when he was still just a teenager. Lived with his parents, stopped leaving, didn't even go into the front yard, didn't ever go out the front door. And he lived like that for 20 years. 20 years. That's into his 30s. 
20 years is a long time. Families change, houses change, circumstances change, and they all changed under Roger. And he couldn't stay there anymore. And so they found a place, a facility, and they took him there. And he's been there for 14 years. And Glenda said, a few years ago, Brady, my son, was assigned as his counselor. And he went to introduce himself. He popped the door open and said, Hi, my name is Brady, and I just wanted to... And you know, Roger didn't even look at him. No contact. But Brady kept going back every week. Hey, my name's Brady, I just wanted to... Still nothing, no contact. But you know what? He didn't give up. He didn't give up. He kept going. He kept going every week, popping the door open and just saying hello. Every week, hey, it's Brady, just wanted to say hello. Every week, hey, it's Brady, just... And one week he opened the door and Roger was facing him and he said, Hi, this is progress. And one week he came down the hall and the door was already open. And Roger was standing in the doorway and he said, Hi, I'm Roger. And he invited Brady in. They began to talk. He started to open up to them. They became friends. Brady began to go over on Sunday afternoons after church just to hang out with Roger. They became very good friends. And one Sunday afternoon, a couple of years ago, Brady came walking into the room and said, Hey, Roger, how you doing? And Roger said, I want to go out. And Brady said, this is real, real progress. Roger, that's great. That's great. I'll go with you. Wait a minute. I have an idea. Why don't you go with me? Why don't you go to church with me? I've never been to church before. I don't know what they do in church. Oh, Roger, it's easy. We sing a couple of songs, a guy talks, we go home. I, I don't know any of the songs that they sing in church. I'll teach you a couple. So Glenda said, for the last two years, Brady and Roger have been preparing for Roger's first day out in 34 years. And this is that day. And for the last two years, Brady has been teaching Roger two songs. He knows two songs. And they are, Jesus loves me and in the garden. It's the only two Christian songs he knows. This is for me! He wasn't kidding. He meant it. It was true. This is for Roger. God is saying, Roger, I'm so glad you came to my house. We're going to sing your songs today. People think that God is going to throw them away because they are limited, because they are flawed. 
because they're small, because they're whacked out in some way, God's going to go, eh, I can't work. Did he do that with Roger? No. God does not throw people away because they have limitations. We all have limitations. Because they have flaws. We all have flaws. Everybody in the world has got a deep crack right down the center of their being. Hit them wrong and they're going to fly apart. Everybody. Roger's no different. Did God throw Roger away because he said, the canvas is too small. Like, what can I do with this life? Eh. No, he did not. He put on a little party for Roger because he loves Roger that much. I want to ask you a question. Do you think God loves Roger more than he loves you? Do you think he says, well, Roger, I like you can go to hell, but Roger, I like. Is that God's attitude toward you, you think? Or maybe he loves you just like he does Roger. You know what I love about this story? <laughs> it's that God used Phil's reluctance to get him to land on the right Sunday. First Sunday, wrong Sunday. Second Sunday, wrong Sunday. Third Sunday, ah. And you say about yourself, man, I'm always resisting. God, I'm fighting, digging my heels in, leaving skid marks. And you know what God's saying about you? I know how to work you. You're easy. I come to the garden alone while the dew is still on the road. And the voice I hear Falling on my ear The Son of God Discloses And He walks with me And He talks with me and he tells me I am his own And the joy we share as we tarry there None other has ever song and it's another song about death 
just to kind of lighten up the mood. <laughs> I wrote this after my father died. And uh, I was missing him because he wasn't just my father, my biological father. He was also my daddy. And he was also a good friend. His birthday was yesterday. He would have been 87 years old. And uh, he was a great example to me about uh, how to live for Jesus, how to be a good husband, a good father. And I won't tell you the story about his life, but he was an orphan. He was rejected. He shouldn't have been a good husband or a good father or a good example of anything. He should have been a failure in life, but he wasn't. He had one of those mystical encounters with God that changed him so strongly I saw it and said I gotta have whatever that is whatever that is I need it for my life and I can count back the days and say my commitment to Jesus is based on my dad's changed life so uh, when he died man I was missing him a lot missing him like crazy and uh, I wanted to fly, man. You know, I wanted that rapture to happen, and I just started doing rapture practice, you know. that. <laughs> so I wrote this song for him, and I wrote it about heaven because I was just thinking a lot about heaven. And, and um, I dedicated it to my dad, and I gave you a part in the chorus. I gave the song a Scottish feel because we are Scottish. We're the Kilpatrick family of the Calhoun clan of the Scots. Okay. And I, as I said, I gave you a part in the chorus, and your part goes like this. Hey-ho, hey-ho. And just in case you have trouble remembering the words, we put it up there for you. Sing it with me. We go, hey-ho, hey-ho. Okay, but tonight, you are an honorary member of the Kilpatrick family, of the Calhoun clan, of the Scots. And you've got to sing like a Scot, which means you've got to sing loud. Scots don't sing softly. They don't go, hey, ho, and then hey, and you know, ho. No, they sing with gusto. So you've got to sing with gusto tonight. Lots of volume. And generally, a Scot is never just singing. But as he's singing, he's hoisting his, lifting up his, <laughs> his cup of tea. <laughs> so I want you all to get your teacups out with me. Everybody do this. Go ahead. Wave your teacup with me like this. Come on. 100%. Nobody's too spiritual. Nobody's too cool, too young or too old. And as you wave your teacup, you're saying, hey-ho. Oh, yeah. I love the volume. Okay. I will cue you by pointing. When I point, that's your cue. Get your teacup out or, you know, whatever it is your doctrine allows. And uh, sing as loud as you dare, okay? It's your way of adding an amen to what I'm singing in this song. This is for my dad. My father is there. And I am there in my heart And sometimes I long to slip away To join the ones who've departed 
The mighty cloud of witnesses bears silent testimony. When I shall join the ranks of them, I'll worship Jesus only. One of these days we'll all be home, say hey-ho, hey-ho. Over the hills no more to roam, say hey-ho, hey-ho. Our sorrow and our sadness will turn to joy and gladness. One of these days we'll of earth and all that glitters and glimmers will darken our hearts will weaken our hope but we must always remember that we will shed this thin mortality and we will slip beyond the veil the dark and mirror laid aside and face to face will hail him one of these days will days we'll all be home. Here's the big question. You are going home with us, aren't you? Are you going to be there? Okay, here's the other question. Is everything okay between you and God? You at peace with God? Everything okay? Because if it isn't, why isn't it? Here's the deal. A lot of bad press about God, as we talked about earlier. But God wants to be at peace with you more than you want to be at peace with Him. He made the first step. He wants you in His family. He wants you. You are His art project. And no matter how... Boy, I wish I could tell you about the statue of David in Florence so mishandled by a previous sculptor and then sat for 35 years rejected and finally Michelangelo was allowed to 
study the peace and the rock had been so mangled by this previous sculptor and he said I have a vision what I can do with this and they let him and he made the statue of David which is one of the two most recognizable pieces of art in the world with the Mona Lisa and was the beginning of the high renaissance period of art so important it's one of two and it was made from castoffs and we feel like castoffs every one of us if you feel like that you're not alone i'm there i'm there with you we feel like castoffs like what can god do with me but god wants to make something beautiful of your life you are his art project start today what can you do the only thing God's calling you to do he's not calling you to remake yourself remold yourself try harder just do a little better he's not calling you to that you know what he's calling you to do because remember he doesn't want your thumbprints in the clay he wants his own he's not waiting for you to form yourself into his image he wants to form yourself here's all you have to do surrender just give up just give up that's what God has called you to do. Just give up. Lay it down. Stop fighting. Just stop fighting him. Say, God, I give up. I give up. So you want a good prayer to pray? That's a good one. God, I give up. Or you can just say, yes. Yes, God. God will take care of you. He did something incredible. We've already talked a little bit about it. By becoming one of us. It's the most incredible, mystical, beautiful, and powerful story in all of history. That God did not just stay outside of his creation, but he came into his creation. He was born as a man. We're moving here into Christmas. It's not about Santa Claus. It's about Jesus. Becoming one, just like you, and redeeming us from within, redeeming his creation from within. And he walked this life, and then they killed him, and that killing was part of the beauty. It was part of the art project, because the killing allowed for the redemption of people like me and you. And so Jesus told his disciples, he said, when you get together... When you get together and, and, and you drink Pepsi and you eat a hamburger or you have this wine and this bread, remember me. Remember me. Remember what I did. We're going to do that tonight. We're going to take communion. And as we do, is my guitar still on? Somehow it's gone out of the monitors. Jason's going to come back. We're going to remember you know Bono, the lead singer for the band U2. He says, what's important about the cross is this. 
Mercy cannot remain conceptual and abstract. It must become real in a moment of time, in space. An unsung song is not a song at all. An unpainted painting is not a painting at all. Good thoughts and mercy that's merely dreamed about is not mercy at all. It has to be realized and it has to become visual, real, actual. That is, as Bono said, the power of the cross. And that's why we remember it. Because God became one of us, one with us, and gave himself for us. You know, every time we come here Saturday nights, we always finish up our time together with coming to these tables that are set up and to be able to say to God, I do remember, I do understand what you did for me and I come back to this place every single week because there's so many things in this life that cause me to forget. There's so many things in this life that cause me to take my eyes off of the most important thing and chase after this or chase after that or chase after my own desires and it's so important that we come back to that place of remembrance and coming back to that place of understanding where he is in this whole thing and he is right here for us so if you've never been here before if you've never done this before it's it's really beautiful it's it's an old old spiritual exercise and we take this bread and we we dip it in the juice and we we bring it to God and we say to him I remember the sacrifice that you made for me. I remember the great cost that was paid for me. I remember everything that you've done. And this is how I show you that you're the foremost thing in my life right here, right now. So tonight we're going to take this bread and this juice and then we're going to take a few moments. And as Bob just continues to just play and worship, we're going to be able to find a place here to just talk to God and allow him to talk to you. Don't rush through this, but take a few moments and listen to what God would say. Listen to what God has for you. Would you come?